You are listening to Where is the Line? The stories you will hear will be depraved, disturbing, and true. If you are easily unsettled, you may find this program offensive. And if you are under the age of 18, fuck off. The chronicle of humankind's cruelty to fellow humans is a long and sorry tale. But if it is true that even in such horror there are degrees of ruthlessness, then few atrocities in world history compare in intensity and scale to the rape of Nanjing. Everybody drinking blood, everybody eating brains, some monster party. Everybody eating flesh, everybody breaking bones. Some monster party. Alright. <laughs> Hope that's good. Welcome to episode 43 of Where is the Line? My name is Kevin, and with me today is genuine forensic autopsy technician Holly. Hi. And a man who cares not to hear about events that happened before 1980. <laughs> Sebastian. Hey. Say something disturbing. Invasion? Invasion. When you hear the word invasion, honk your horn. So 1980, that's your cutoff point. I just, that's when my mind starts creating content. <laughs> you know what I mean? He can't. Grasp. Like the 70s, maybe. Like because there's like video. But before that, there's just pictures. And I don't know. Those aren't animated they're not entertaining they're not engaging but it's a podcast there's no pictures so i just don't care if like john benet ramsey hadn't been born yet i don't care like news started to me when john benet ramsey died before that i don't care am i gonna get canceled <laughs> you guys are looking at me like i'm gonna get canceled i just don't maybe it's a learning disability thing maybe i'm just an asshole Maybe that's how my brain works. I don't know. Maybe you'll teach me to find history interesting. Because I fucking don't. All right. Well, let's find out what. The, <laughs> let's find out what the topic today is. Are you ready to I'm, get into it? I'm excited. Let's do it. Don't play games on your phone while I read my monologue this time. We talked about that. <laughs> we did talk about that on the drive over. She was like, should I not be on my phone this time? I'm like, probably. She's like, I just, when I'm supposed to be listening, what am I supposed to be doing? Listening. Telling the person that is speaking that you're listening. Yeah, but I'm a woman, so I can multitask. <laughs> the written account of our history as humans is filled with atrocities that mankind has visited upon itself. Many of the atrocities that have carved out their spots in modern minds are those that occurred in World War II. The most prominent is, of course, the extermination of six million Jews in Nazi Germany. Those more inclined to seek out accounts of human suffering may also be familiar with Japan's Unit 731. The German concentration camps and the medical experiments of Unit 731 were actions of purpose. Parameters existed, goals were set, and oversight was for the most part maintained. In Germany, the primary purpose of the concentration camps was to remove the Jewish people from their society. Unit 731 and the Nazi camps both carried out horrific experiments on living humans, giving little or no thought to the suffering of their victims. Generally speaking, though, these were not acts of sadism for its own sake. It was not chaos. 
there were parameters within which this cruelty was confined. Whether it be the advancement of science and medicine or the testing of chemical weapons, there were rules to this torment. With today's subject, though, there were no such rules to inhibit the sadistic imaginations of men. Over the course of this at least two-part episode, we'll hear stories of unborn children being cut from the wombs of expectant mothers, of men buried to their waists before being eaten alive by hungry dogs. We'll hear tales of forced incest and violent gang rape. And we'll be talking about all of this occurring on an enormous scale. Our topic today is an event in which, over the course of two weeks, 300,000 people were raped, tortured, and murdered. This is an incident with no historic parallels and one that might represent the most horrific two weeks ever suffered by a population. This is a story of how blind nationalism can devour the better angels of our nature, leaving us alone with the encouragement of our demons. This is the story of the rape, torment, and massacre in Nanking, China. So the country of Japan is very small, like the actual dimensions of it. And by the 1920s, Japan was already starting to outgrow the space that was available to them, and they're kind of looking to expand now, just, uh, you know, just a little bit north of them is China, and China at this point in history has lagged behind Japan in terms of advancements, technological advancements and that kind of thing. And Japan is looking at China and starting to believe themselves to be superior to the Chinese, and they start developing the sense of manifest destiny. Manifest destiny is one of the worst fucking things. It's 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 why we destroyed, you know, the native populations in America. So Japan foresees that they're going to outgrow their geography and they start conditioning their citizens appropriately. So their schools start working kind of like military installations. They're trying to toughen up these kids. Uh, there's corporal punishment in the schools. And they're indoctrinating children with this Japanese agenda. Sounds like Florida. It, it reminds <laughs> me, like, when I was reading about this, like, all the lead-up, it reminds me of, like, did you guys have to say the Pledge of Allegiance in school? Yeah. Uh, I didn't, but yeah, because I was really into Marilyn Manson at the time. And <laughs> he said it wasn't cool, so I didn't do it. I'm not a Marilyn Manson. Do they still anymore. make kids do that? Mm -hmm. Well, they can't make you do it. Like, I never got in trouble because I didn't do it because it was technically supposed to be optional. Oh, I get it. I mean, but you, you got the so. fucking side eye from every teacher. But yeah, I mean, when I was in school, I mean, I feel like we started there. doing it in the first grade. We only yeah. did it in elementary school, though. No, my school did it all the way through. Really? No, we yeah. only did it in elementary school. And I also came from like... Podunk. Yeah, like... Not as comparative as Alabama, but you know, as the whole state, <laughs> yeah. I mean, but I still very <laughs> close minded, small town. They believe that this country anybody, is great, they believe that what is there is the best, and there's nothing anything better whenever it's an actual fucking shithole. <laughs> so, like, if you're any different than anybody else in the norm in this small town, you're going to get targeted and so you either say it or you get targeted somehow <laughs> if people in alabama are listening and being like you're just talking about outside <laughs> <laughs> I mean, 
I was saying the Pledge of Allegiance at least by the second grade. Because I remember, like, yeah. I think we started seeing it first or second grade, maybe even kindergarten. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there was this big push several years ago about taking out the one nation under God mm-hmm. part. And, and this is one of those situations where I end up aligned with people just by some kind of peripheral means where it's not like I'm actually agreeing with them on their point, but I just end up on their side anyway. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't feel like the Pledge of Allegiance, the the one nation under God part, you know, yeah, that's tricky. But the fucking thing itself, I mean, you're getting like seven-year-olds yeah. to do this military type pledge Mm -hmm. that sounds like you know a medieval knight swearing their sword to somebody and you're (laughs) making fucking seven year olds do this you gotta indoctrinate them on levels kevin yeah you gotta give them levels your kids to church real early so they don't know any better i wonder (laughs) when we started making kids say the pledge of allegiance i wonder if it's around the time of the cold war Oh, like it would make sense if the U.S. was kind of doing the same shit that China was doing, and we're like, okay, in fifteen or twenty years, we're gonna have to fuck somebody up. Let's start militarizing our children. Okay, well, the Pledge of Allegiance started being distributed to schools in 1892. Over 10,000 children recited the verse together. It's longer. Oh, you know what? When so Civil War ends, like in the 1860s. And so they're trying to make sure that the country The most recent alteration, this is a telling statement. The most recent alteration of its wording was in 1954. And that's when under God was added. Huh. I knew that and I forgot. So anyway, 1920s, Japan's starting to realize that they're going to have to expand or something. Something's going to have to change. They start indoctrinating these children with these nationalistic ideas. Um, and by 1937, this manufactured tension that Japan is kind of building up. They're they're trying to, and you know, along with all of this nationalizing of the children, they're they're feeding into this also a dislike for Chinese people. Mm. They're starting to tell their population you are familiar with doing things like that. Best country (laughs) in the world. At what? Nobody can fucking tell you, but best country in the world. So many people are going to hate us for this book. I don't give a shit. You're wrong. <laughs> this episode in particular. <laughs> We've done tried to fuck up like the Pledge of Allegiance. <laughs> Church. Let America me tell you how I general. feel about the police. <laughs> <laughs> so, So by around 1937... Japan is kind of manufacturing this tension between Japan and China, and this is kind of coming to a head. And there's this point where the Japanese military, they're performing these nighttime maneuvers in China. And they're allowed to do this by some kind of previously established treaty. So they've been doing this for a while. This isn't unusual. But on one night, there is some kind of confusion that happens between the Chinese military and these the, the Japanese military who were there just kind of doing these uh, practice runs or whatever you call it. What do you fucking call it? A dry run. That's what they call it on Will and Grace. Drills. Drills. Yeah, so it's, Japan's basically just doing these drills. They're in China. They're allowed to be there. But this one night, this confusion kind of breaks out. China briefly opens fire on these training 
Japanese soldiers. Briefly? What is briefly opens fire? Like, like apparently just <laughs> just a few bullets and then they were like, Whoa, they're okay to be here. Oh they're like, Oh, just kidding. Don't My bad. think they My bad. hit anybody or anything. <laughs> it was it seems to have been a genuine mistake. A couple bullets get okay. shot off and they're like, Whoa, sorry, no, never mind. We're done. But the next roll call that the Japanese troops have there is one soldier who fails to show up. And so Japan, who is just looking for a reason, starts making these haughty demands of China. So they're like, you have to give us access to your military fort, you know, all of your military ground so we can search for our lost soldier in case you've captured him or something. And so, you know, China obviously refuses and Japan shells the fort that they had asked admittance to and were refused. And here we go. Now Japan is in a war with China. Ta-da! So this invasion of China starts in the summer, 1937. Japan thought that they would take over the entire country of China within a month. The first place that they invade is Shanghai. And... Shanghai held out for three months. So they think that they're going to go through the whole entirety of China in a month. The first city they attack, they end up stuck there for three months. <laughs> Joke's on them. And that's kind of pissing them off. You know, they're what do you not... mean stuck? How do you get stuck? They just couldn't Well, Shanghai them. held out. They couldn't, they couldn't overcome the military forces of Shanghai. It took them three months to do it. Maybe I'm stupid, but don't you just run out of bullets out of a certain point? No, supply trains. You never run out of bullets. Oh, they have supply trains? That's fucking boring. Oh, we need to talk about military tactics. I don't want to talk about military tactics. <laughs> I do. <laughs> I do love not. it. I knew I was in trouble. There's a book that I got about about this, and I knew I was in trouble when I opened it up, and like the first three pages are military maps and diagrams. That's I get boring so fucking fuck. pumped. It is not. <laughs> That's so fucking boring. I love that you love this stuff. Somebody <laughs> in the world has to. So, summer 1937, Japan starts their invasion. They think they're going to overtake these people who they feel are so much in more in their fear inferior are inferior to them. Going to run through the China's fucking huge. They think they're going to take this whole goddamn thing in four weeks. Three months stuck in the first city that they invade. They're getting kind of pissy, and so when they when they finally do overcome Shanghai. They're exceptionally violent in doing so because they've gotten frustrated. They've gotten pissed off. There's some rapes going on, you know, murdering unarmed civilians, that kind of thing. And when it's all over, there was a British journalist who went through Shanghai right after the Japanese forces left. And he wrote, quote, there is hardly a building standing that hasn't been gutted by fire. Smoldering ruins and deserted streets present an eerie spectacle. The only living creatures being dogs, unnaturally fattened by feasting on corpses. <laughs> so, Japan overtakes Shanghai. News about these extracurriculars, the rape and the you know murder of unarmed citizens and things is starting to spread around, and people are starting to see the Japanese troops as ruthless even beyond what you would normally consider an invading army to be. But what happened there in Shanghai is 
absolutely nothing compared to what happened when the troops make it into Nanking. Mm. So back in Nanking, people are hearing these stories uh, about what the Japanese people have done. And when, when Shanghai falls, as inevitably always happens, in Nanking, when they realize that the troops are coming that way, all the rich people leave. And so the, the, people, the only people left in Shanghai after that happens are poor people, lower class. These people have really not the, the, the means to get away. And even if they did, they didn't have anywhere to go. Sounds familiar. There's elderly people, sick people, orphan children. These are, these are the types of people who are left in Nanking. And another problem with Nanking. So a lot of times when, when cities will get invaded... Obviously, the rich people evacuate, save themselves, leave everybody else to fucking die. All through history, it happens. The invading army gets closer to the city, and a lot of the people who were left at that point dip out the back. The problem with, with Nanking, though, is it's geographically situated in a curve in the Yangtze River. So, with the Japanese forces approaching from the front, their entire retreat out of the city is completely blocked by a river. And the rich people already took all the boats. So if you didn't leave in that first wave of a shit, if escape, you're stuck there. Fuck. So it's like Titanic. I don't see the connection. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, you have the citizens who are left there. And then, of course, the military is there. Now, Nanking has 90,000 troops protecting the city. And Nanking at the time is the capital city of China. And the Japanese forces who are moving in, they only have 50,000 people. So there's some reason, there, there's, there's cause for the people who are left in Nanking to feel a bit optimistic. Their forces outnumber the invading party almost two to one. And Nanking is a walled city. So Nanking has 90,000 men protecting the city. 50, 000, only 50,000 troops are coming to invade. And so there's hope. But on December 2nd, 1937, this is about two weeks before Japan actually invades Nanking, something that's potentially very important in terms of what eventually happened, happened. <laughs> So the Japanese general who was supposed to lead this invasion in Nanking gets sick and he gets replaced by Lieutenant General Prince Asaka Yasuhiko. So Asaka is actually the uncle of the Japanese emperor at the time. This is the kind of guy who has uh, not really lived his life with very much, if any, oversight. I just feel like that, that tends to make for an awful human being. Yeah. So when Asaka, this prince, the nephew of the emperor, takes control, the Japanese who had been so fucking vile over in Shanghai become somehow even a little more sadistic. And it seems like once Asaka takes command, the Japanese forces start kind of almost instantly heavily leaning into this sort of heartless depravity. Once they leave Shanghai and Osaka takes over, they're on their way from Shanghai to Nanking, and the officers start competing in this kind of morbid contest to see who could be the first person to, with a sword, behead 100 Chinese people. 
Not necessarily combatants, just anybody. They never actually figured out who got there first, but they did figure out that it actually happened, and at least two of these officers uh, ended up charged with war crimes and got executed later on. Well, that's good, good. at least. Yeah. Maybe this just makes me think, and I know it's over, makes me think of all the fucking heads that I <laughs> that you've cut off. <laughs> have you cut no. off more than a hundred heads, Holly? No, no, no. Have you cut off more than a hundred heads? No, uh, I have decapitated. How many? A couple. What's it feel like? <laughs> I mean, if I'm at that point, it means that there's a uh, there's not much left of them. So it's it's not like I it's not like a fresh body. It's it's one that's been hanging, and it's just like a little bit of tissue left, so I can get the head off to send it off to anthropology or whatever I need you to do. You send the whole head to anthropology? I've sent whole bodies to anthropology. Why would you send them the head? You can get a lot of information from that. If there's one only trauma on the head, like, oh, okay. I'd like one in particular that I'm thinking of right now was a homicide victim that was not found for a very, very, very long time. Um, to the point where there's like no internal organs anymore. That's why I think it's really funny whenever they say skeletal remains found, autopsy done. What fucking autopsy? There's not an <laughs> autopsy done on a fucking skeleton. But this one in particular, I just, the homicide victim has become a homicide victim due to head trauma of a sort. And we wanted to know exactly what was going on, directionality, whatever. And there's a bunch of pieces and we're not the bone experts. We know a little bit. I yes, am. Bye, but <laughs> sent it to an anthropologist so they could tell us more about the injuries that were going on. I also have to boil all of the tissue off. What do you use? Just a pot? Yeah. Just a regular pot? Yeah. Like you just buy at a store? Yeah. There's I, not like a special medical examiner pot? You can buy pot. vats to like steam and boil whole bodies in. I bet you could use one of those things they use at crawfish boils. Yeah, that's exactly what I was using. Is it? I mean, is it literally a crawfish boil? It's thing? not. It's a big giant pot that I use. Anyway, more frequently than you would ever fucking imagine, we get a report of just just a skull found. There are so many just heads. <laughs> What's the most autopsies you've done in one day? It was Less. just recently. Nope, it was Nine. eight. Eight. It was eight this Sunday. Yeah, I thought because you texted that you had to do eight autopsies. No, there was. I was day. like, there are ten. Ten bodies. Ended up getting through eight. And then I had to call it quits because my body hurt. I, I couldn't function anymore. <laughs> like, I couldn't. I asked Donnie to put my uh, wrist braces in the freezer <laughs> for me whenever I got home. Your wrist braces? Yeah, for my carpal tunnel. Oh. Whenever I do wear my wrist braces at night. Because I wear them to bed. And if something starts happening, I have to be like, sorry, wait. (laughs) 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 Gotta take them off. Don't want to get anything off. It's real sexy, let me tell you. So word of kind of this ramping up depravity that's kind of taking hold in the Japanese troops while they're on their way to Nanking. Word of that's gotten back to the Chinese military. How does word travel? Like, they're just telling stories? They writing that shit in letters? They didn't have Snapchat? That's fucking nasty. They had telephones. So they just call up their buddy and be like, guess what? I invented rape. What? Well, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> that was if a long time I saw ago. a couple of guys. <laughs> Guess what? I invented a new kind of rape. If I saw a couple of guys running down the street 
talking about which one can be the fastest to take the heads off of a hundred people, I will immediately text you on our group chat about that. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, word of all of this depraved nonsense gets back to the Chinese soldiers, and it's not entirely clear what happened, but it appears that the officers of the Chinese military forces guarding Nanking heard about all of this and dipped. And so now this force of 90,000 troops it's by gone. far outnumbering the 50,000 invading forces. No, they're still there. Oh, they are? But they just have no leadership. Oh, but they still got numbers. They Did still you? got the numbers. And that's that's one of the kind of confusing parts about the story that it seems like it, nobody's ever really come to terms with how it happened that 50,000 troops overtook this 90,000, even in the absence of leadership. That's like the 2016 election. Because, I mean, you've got, <laughs> you know, two, 300,000 citizens there was on top four of years of that. <laughs> so bad. <laughs> so if you remember, you know, the invasion of Shanghai when the Japanese were there, that they held out for months. When they get the Nanking and all of these officers have left, it only takes them four days before certain segments of these Chinese troops start surrendering to them. And when they surrender, they're literally coming out, waving white flags. They're putting white t-shirts on sticks and things and waving them around. Who makes the flags? Whoever decides to give up first. Fucking <laughs> 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 oh suck. You gotta surrender and do a fucking arts and crafts project. No, that's a really good question. Like, they have supply trains. Do they send, like, the flags on the supply it's not, chain? It's the a white shirt. Flag? It's just a shirt. No, they just it's find a, a shirt. white Yeah, makeshift. I, I don't go to war. Are, I don't know what they're waving. I thought white was flags a are flag. always homemade. Yeah. Because, I oh. mean, if you thought you were going to have to wave it, you wouldn't have gone. <laughs> well, I'm play. sorry, masculinity boners. I don't like to think about war. <laughs> masculinity boners? <laughs> So the Chinese troops, four days, they start surrendering. And, you know, we talked about earlier about how the Japanese have this kind of sense of manifest destiny and they feel like they're superior to the Chinese. And the Japanese troops, when, when, these, when the Chinese forces start surrendering, you know, sometimes even without a fight, the Japanese troops get disgusted by them. Because of them surrendering? Without a fight, or even surrendering at all. I mean, the Japanese troops are in this extreme nationalistic mode. You fight and die for your country, and then they get to China, and people start just surrendering to them. And the Japanese so know... So they they were cowards? Yeah, they think that they're cowards. They think that they're lesser people because of this. Like Proud Boys and Drag Queens. That's exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> <laughs> like how the super American men get so offended at men that cry. They're like, oh. <laughs> I'm crying right now. I'll beat your ass. <laughs> <laughs> this disdain that the Japanese troops start feeling for the Chinese troops after they you know, start surrendering is uh, it, there's a quote uh, from a journal that survived from one of the Japanese soldiers, and he wrote, quote, they all walked in droves like ants crawling on the ground. They looked like a bunch of homeless people with ignorant expressions on their faces. Jesus Christ. A herd of ignorant sheep with no rule or order marched on in the darkness whispering to each other. 
They hardly looked like the enemy who only yesterday was shooting at and troubling us. It was impossible to believe that they were the enemy soldiers. It felt quite foolish to think that we had been fighting to the death against these ignorant slaves. And some of them were even 12 or 13-year-old boys. Sounds like a fucking boomer writing on Facebook. So... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it does. <laughs> These ain't real men. <laughs> Some of them were even 12 and 13 years There's old. There's two genders. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, you can kind of see from that writing that the Japanese who invaded China already feeling like the Chinese people are less than them. The surrender happens, and that not only enforces what they believe when they moved in, it... It's giving them validation. It is. And so when the when these Chinese troops are surrendering, they're thinking, you know, if we peacefully surrender, as happens in, at that time, modern warfare, they will become POWs and eventually, hopefully, be released. And there's two problems with this and the first one is kind of uh, their own doing and that's food so nanking's a walled city and when the japanese troops are approaching as is a common practice for walled cities when they're about to be invaded they burned everything outside the wall so food is a problem these are 90,000 prisoners that if you want to keep them alive, you're going to have to give them some food. And they themselves have already destroyed all of the food around their city. The second problem is that after they round up all of these troops, the real invasion of Nanking is about to start, and the 66th Battalion receives the following command from their new leader, Prince Lieutenant General Asaka. Quote, all prisoners of war are to be executed. Method of execution, divide the prisoners into groups of a dozen. Shoot to kill separately. And then it goes on to say, The vicinity of the imprisonment must be heavily guarded. Our intentions are absolutely not to be detected by the prisoners. So the idea is they know that they have more prisoners than they have their own troops. And so what they're going to try to do is pull the old, you know, hey, you 12 guys, let me show you something over here. And then those 12 guys don't come back. So okay, the, okay. the idea, what Asaka has told them to do is you take them 12 at a time, away from the main group, probably behead them with swords because you can't open fire on them yeah. or that's going to tip off the people who are back at the camp. Mm-hmm. You know, we're talking about like a lot of numbers and we're using them for people. And I feel like a lot of times when you start talking about like 10,000 people, 100,000 people, you just hear that and you don't really compute. Let it sink in what that really means. I mean, we're mm -hmm. talking about 90,000 people that they're going to try to execute 12 at a time. 90,000. The capacity of Kansas City's. World Championship Kansas City Chiefs football field, Arrowhead Stadium, the capacity is 76,416. They're about to execute more than 
what you can fit into Arrowhead Stadium. That's a lot of fucking people. Have you had a chance to go there? No, I haven't been to Arrowhead yet. Okay. Because whenever you're going, there is this basically walk path that is like a corkscrew. And it's Mm -hmm. a huge cemented spiral walk path. I've seen those spirals up the side. Mm -hmm. And Bryant-Denny Stadium, home of the Alabama Crimson Tide amateur football team. Mm Mm-hmm. I think people in fucking Tuscaloosa need to hear that. That's a goddamn amateur football team. (laughs) That stadium, Kansas City Chiefs, professional football in an actual city. The capacity of the stadium here is 76,416. It's a gigantic stadium. Mm -hmm. Tuscaloosa, Alabama, population around 98,000. The stadium's bigger than Arrowhead. Why? 102,000. Because they can fill it up. That's crazy to me. I'm going to look up if Taylor Swift sold out that stadium. (laughs) What's the stadium called? Oh, no. They don't use it for music and things. They use it exclusively for football. (laughs) So the Japanese soldiers, they start doing these executions as they've been ordered to do 12 at a time. They cut their heads off, go back to the camp, get 12 more, repeat. And they do this for a few hours, and then they start to realize that this is going to take a long time long time and so you know if you do the math execute ninety thousand people 12 at a time you're gonna have to repeat this process seven thousand five hundred times good god it's not gonna work this is gonna take for fucking ever so they decide to switch tactics but they don't really have any instruction on what tactics to use so they just start coming up with shit One example is there was a group of, and you have to imagine, this is a big city. It's not like all the army is surrendering at once. There's different installations of military men. But there was this one instance where there's 15,000 soldiers, Chinese soldiers, surrender to the Japanese. And the Japanese tell the Chinese prisoners that they're going to be held as POWs on an island in the middle of the Yangtze River right behind the city. So we're going to round you all up. We're going to put you on this island because, you know, you are still military. We do have to do something with you. We can't just let you run free. So we're just going to keep you on this island for a while while we do our shit here in Nanking. And and they kind of sell this too. So they're like, you know, we're going to march you down to the river. We're going to get this boat to take you across to this island. There are more of you than there are of us. So just for our own safety... We want to tie your arms behind your back because, you know, we can't risk you revolting. So they're kind of passing this off as though things are going to be okay Mm -hmm. for these troops. And so in segments of 2,000 apiece, they march these 15,000 people down to the Yangtze River. And 15,000 men are standing there waiting for this boat to come across to take them to this island. What the Japanese have actually done is, before they even start marching people down to the river, they have a semi-circle of machine gunners positioned Mm. in the woods next to the river, hidden. They get all 15,000 people down there, and they start opening fire on them. And when the gunfire starts, they're hearing all of the screaming from people being shot, and that screaming settles down and settles down and settles down. And it takes them an hour. I mean, this is 15,000 people, even Mm. with machine guns. It takes them an hour to mow all of these people down. Good God. Imagine being one of the last ones. Fuck. Oh, but wait. 
It, speaking of one of the last ones, if you're one of the last ones, you're not necessarily someone who was shot by a machine gun. Because after that hour of machine gun fire, you know, the, these screaming voices are settling down and they fire on them for an hour and they're still hearing people screaming and moaning after an hour of straight machine gun fire. And so um, that machine gun fire ended around sundown and they spent the entire night between sundown and sunup going through this pile of 15,000 people individually bayoneting everyone until they finally didn't hear anybody moaning anymore. Yeah, it's like the Titanic. That did not happen. Yeah, where they went around with the fucking thing from the boat and like turned the bodies over to see if they were alive. I don't know why you're trying so hard to connect the atrocities (laughs) of Nanking to the Titanic. I don't know. Because I need a movie to play in my head for me to understand. Something something to think about while I talk about these pre-1980 events. Exactly, you're getting it. I'm a child of the internet. We don't have imaginations. So imagine this, Holly. Okay. You were talking about imagine being one of the last people shot. Imagine one of the people laying under the pile until the next fucking morning. I would hope I would be in the first few hit. So this is this is 15,000. This is a little segment of 15,000 of the 90,000 total troops. So elsewhere around Nanking, uh, you know, other executioners are becoming bored with this 12-at-a-time business that they've been ordered to do. And in other places, they try to make things more exciting. So, you know, they're, they're doing these mass executions, but there's one location where the Japanese troops have taken to tying the Chinese troops together in bundles of about 15, throwing them in a hole that they made them dig themselves, and then they just set them on fire. Fuck. There's another group that just starts using the Chinese soldiers for bayonet practice. So they're just standing around saying, hey, when you run up to somebody in combat and you're trying to kill them, this is where you need to stab them to kill them. And they're just uh, kind of giving these instructions and... Stabbing with bayonets, people are standing there right in front of them, hearing these instructions being given. There was another account of one Chinese soldier who they stripped him naked. They set a German shepherd onto him, specifically towards his genitals, and they dangled his genitals. Apparently the genitals were not entirely removed, but they were mangled. But it gets worse for this guy, because this guy's still alive, mangled genitals... At some point, either they cut a slit in his stomach or the dog does it himself. But anyway, the dog manages to grab the man's intestines and kind of runs away. Fuck. What the fuck? And the man's still alive. (laughs) And I know exactly what that feels like. Like, if you just get through a section of the intestines and pull on them. Yeah, they're going to come unwound, basically. Well, yeah. So what, what happened? So, okay. So the dog grabs this man's intestines Mm -hmm. and takes off running with one end of it. Does that unravel like he's running off with a water hose or does just the whole thing fall out? It's going to unravel if he has a hold of the right spot. So your small intestines, which is what I think the majority of people that don't see real intestines (laughs) think they look like, it's right in the middle of your large intestines and that little bundle that everybody imagines. So what is making it a bundle? Cause your intestines are actually a tube is a thin sheet of fat. 
it's supposed to be thin. It can be bigger depending how much, how heavy you are. If you're bigger, it's, there's going to be more. So it's like the best way I can describe it is um, imagine a long flat ribbon and you take that ribbon and bundle it. And then on one side of the ribbon, the long end of it is where the intestines are attached. And if you cut it just right, it's going to unravel it. That's because they describe it that way. And I was mm-hmm. like, that's bullshit. No, it will. Because I cannot imagine, like, you know, I mean, I can imagine it because it's like a horrific image of a dog grabbing one of your intestines and running off and yeah. this rope just untangling out of you. But I was like, yeah. this is one of the things I was specifically going to ask you because I felt like that couldn't, that no, wouldn't be the can. way that would actually work. Yeah, but, it would. Okay. Yeah. Especially because it's going to sound. <laughs> I mean, it is what it is, especially because he is still warm. Still alive. It's Yeah, because he's still alive. Those are going to tear so much easier than if he was cold and like the experience that I have with them. Like, I don't like bodies to be warm. I like them to have like a few hours to chill in the cooler. Yeah, you've told me it grosses you out when, the, yeah, it when they come me in out hot. when they're warm. I want them to be in the cooler for a little while. So anyway, there was a just a whole variety of things that they came up with to apparently just entertain themselves while they're going about this enormous execution. What's this one more thing that they were doing to the soldiers outside? One Japanese troop had taken to burying the soldiers up to their waist and then just letting dogs eat the upper half while they're still alive. Damn. And uh, there was even an account, they buried one Chinese soldier up to his waist and just ran over him with a tank. <laughs> they just wanted to like see what Like fucking whack-a-mole? Yeah, just to see what it would do. I've seen what that does. You have not ha- done an autopsy on someone that's been run over by a tank. Um, by, what did I say the other day? It was like... Oh, a piece of farming equipment, wasn't it? was it? like, mm. the, what's the big version of a bobcat? Mountain lion? No. You know, like the the machinery that has a bucket that digs. Oh, backhoe. Uh, Yeah, it was a backhoe. I mean, not a tank, but a backhoe. Talk about getting your back blown out, ho. That's a bad joke. It really is. Oh, God. No, I'm leaving that one in. (laughs) (laughs) Just so you have to own it. Industrial accidents are like some of the wildest things. Like they're super, super horrific. And I always feel absolutely horrible for the individuals that it happens to. It's a horrible, horrible thing. But at the same time, this that curiosity that people that listen to this show have, like myself, being able to actually physically see what those types of things do to people is in the most respectful way, fascinating. It's fascinating to see what the body can or cannot withstand and how it's different with different people. It's like, it's crazy to see. It's absolutely insane. Horrific, but fascinating at the same time. I can get that. Yeah. So finally, after a certain amount of time, the Japanese finish off 90,000 opposing troops. And that brings up a problem. Bodies everywhere. There's 90,000 fucking bodies laid Couldn't around. imagine. So, you know, they start off with some of the stuff that you would normally think. They'd go to existing ditches and throw some bodies in there and cover them up. They'd dig some holes, throw some bodies in there and cover them up. But that's 90,000 fucking people. That's, you know, that's Arrowhead you're trying to bury. 
a lot of them, you know, the particularly smell. the group that they executed next to the Yangtze River, they pushed all of them into the river, which had the effect of causing the river to literally run red with blood. You hear that expression thrown around, but that actually happened. The Yangtze River turned red. There was so I much blood I wonder what that did to their water supply. Well, I mean, there was nobody around to drink it. I mean, they are still going to need something to drink. Like, I don't know where that's I'm going. I'm assuming that their water supply siphons off upriver from where they were throwing them in. I mean, Specifically because that never came up in anything that I okay. read. And that would have absolutely come up. Uh, one of the things that they tried that absolutely did not work out is they piled tens of thousands of corpses up and uh, poured gas on them and set them on fire. What happened was they didn't have enough gas. So they just turned their hideous corpse mountain into a more hideous corpse mountain. You have to burn a single corpse for a very long time. And once the Japanese have finished executing and disposing of anyone capable of opposing them, there's nothing left to stand between them and the 200,000 or more non-combatants who are still in that city. Oh, that was just the army. This entire episode, <laughs> we have just been talking about what happened to the Chinese army who were trying to defend Nanking. My God. These are the combatants. They haven't even gotten to a woman yet. The Japanese, you know, all the way, even since they... they they took over Shanghai, even the march over to Nanking. They're just starting to find more and more entertainment in murder and these methods of dispatching people that they're coming up with are getting more and more creative. Depravity's floodgates are just about to burst open in a massacre without analog in history is about to wash over Nanking. Thank you so much for listening to episode 43 of Where is the Line? If you enjoyed the show, be sure to subscribe to it as it does not come out on any set schedule. Also, if you enjoy the show, you might consider leaving us a review. Not unlike Hannah from NC. Hannah from NC writes five stars. My absolute favorite podcast. In the last four days, I have listened to every episode while I'm working. I work for FedEx, so you definitely help pass the time. I'm in awe of how well-researched and tremendously entertaining this podcast is. I have loved all of your co-hosts. They are always so nice and funny and just seem absolutely lovely. My brother Dylan and sister-in-law Tori actually put me onto your podcast years ago, but I never looked into it. I'm very glad that I finally have. Towards the beginning episodes, I heard their voicemails on here, and it was a total elf moment. Fuck's an elf moment. I don't know. <laughs> and I screamed, I know them. I can't believe this podcast isn't what everybody is talking about. Everyone in capital letters should be talking about this. 
Love you guys. And by the way, Kevin, you and all of your co-hosts are absolutely beautiful. Please keep posting. Hannah, that's great. Thank you so much. Um, Can you write back in and tell us what the fucking elf moment is? (laughs) Moving on to voicemails. Our first voicemail comes from someone who's left one before. This is Juba Moon. Hi, this is Juba Moon. Where are y'all? I called you before and you actually used me for um, an example of a crazy person (laughs) who listens to your podcast and loves the crazy ass shit that y'all talk about. My number is... (laughs) I'd sure love to talk to you and figure out what the hell's going on. Hey... I don't know anything about Kevin's eyebrows, <laughs> but, uh... Well, if you saw him, you'd know. You know, if it's a topic of discussion... Yeah, Kevin has... Then he may want to do something about it. No, they're perfect. And, uh, I love you. I miss your deeply disturbing deep dives into the fucked-up world of fuck. Up-edness. We're at the halfway point of this voicemail, and, by the way. Uh, I have so many favorite curse words, you know, to make an expression of eat, bite, suck, gobble, nibble, chew, tissy, titty, pussy, hair, pie, finger, fucking goo is what? kind of a phrase <laughs> that I have used in the past. Eat, oh, God, the up, gobble, nibble, chew, shitty pussy hair, pop, finger, fucking chew. Gobble, nibble, chew. Later. Fuck, gobble, nibble, chew. She's got bars. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for that voicemail. Juba Moon. Juba. Hi. Juba might be our new most entertaining voicemail lever. We actually got several voicemails. Gonna save a few for next time, but moving on to this next one, I actually, I I noticed something along the lines of Juba Moon in the Google transcript of the previous voicemail, so that's how I knew who that was. I haven't heard this one yet, so I don't know who this is or what they're going to say. Shit bubbles is a pretty good curse word, you know, but um, I just wanted to let you guys know that you you guys have an amazing podcast, and I hate you every day that you guys don't release a new episode. Thank you. Uh, so I hope you guys have a good day. Bye-bye. Uh, what's your name? Oh, thank you so much. He's for that. You. Yeah, you need to call back yeah, and you leave. need to call back ASAP. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, Sebastian would like to know what your name is, caller. That's going to do it for this episode of Where is the Line? Thank you all so much for listening. We'll see you again soon. Eat, cock, shit, nip, mother, mother, fuck, fuck. I don't remember the words. Bye. See ya. Kids, when you go to bed, stay away from your closets and don't look on.